It is the 200 level episode 84 from the basement. Last dance parts five and six. Got Harry Black and Trevor Belize on the horn here on our live Zoom session, a new Monday morning tradition. Uh, before we get going with our dissection of parts five and six of the last dance, got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, you can get a custom zone. You could put any toppings that you want to in it or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone along with their signature dipping sauce. Again, dpdoe.com and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level will get you 10% off. And not only that, you can get two shirts and you'll get one free. That's buy two shirts, get one free. I wore one of my fourth and Kirby t-shirts yesterday. Go ahead and get yours before the weather turns nice and warm and you need plenty of t-shirts. Fourthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. All your insurance needs, life, auto, home, business, renters. Not only is their staff experts in this sort of thing, but they're also local products, so they have your local interest at heart. That's brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Without further ado, welcome Harry, welcome Trevor, and here is how I want to start today, okay? Because we all have, I wouldn't call us journalists per se, but Trevor, you got your degree in it, and Harry, you certainly have, uh, you know, some real life experience in the journalism field. I mean, I, I've, I'm not a journalism degree but i was a communications degree i think i like to have some kind of merit here's what i my, i wanted to ask you guys okay ken burns is the famous documentarian who's done i think baseball might have been his first one or civil war those were the two early ones he did for pbs great, great career names, by the way very very creative titles yes uh, there's also one coming out it's called uh, damn it. I was trying to think of a joke. I was trying to think of something very broad. Something like Earth. Yeah, right, right. Or Sun. Uh, can't wait for that 10 parter. So here is the quote that he sun. had. <laughs> it's just a bunch of scientists be like, it's really, really hot up there. It's so very hot. Not only is it hot, but it's also very big. And then, like, it goes, shows the sun, and there's some other, like, British guy saying, the sun is one of the biggest things in our night sky. Coming up in part two, it's also very far. Did you know that every universe has its own sun? They're called stars. Part four. Okay, so... This is the quote that he had. He, he was basically airing a grievance that he had with this documentary series, saying that there is a conflict of interest here because Jordan had to approve it to begin with. And his quote was, if you're there influencing the very fact of it getting made, it means that certain aspects that you don't necessarily want aren't going to be in, period. And that's not the way to do uh, good journalism, and it's certainly not the way you do good history. My business. That's his business, guys. So I had a... I understand where he's coming from, but on the other hand, Trevor, I'm thinking, okay, for one, this is, to me, just as much an entertainment piece as it is a documentary. So I know eyes wide open going in that there's certain things we won't see, but I do feel like they've struck a decent enough balance talking about the flaws that Jordan had, especially last night. So I think if Ken Burns were to have watched the last two episodes in particular, his concern about journalistic integrity might not be as pronounced as it was in that quote. Yeah, I had a few reactions to this. One, he said he didn't watch it. Not that I don't put stock in what Ken Burns is saying, but the quote literally starts, I haven't seen a minute of it yet, but I don't like it. <laughs> so it's like, well, maybe you should try watching it before you make that statement. And it also felt a little bit like uh, uh, Scorsese when he said that Avenger movies, what do you say Avenger movies are like? Theme parks. 
theme parks. He, he's such a respected individual in the field that you almost can't just be like, wow, he's, he's crazy. What does he it's, know? You, you, you have, right, exactly. But at the same time, like, I do understand what he's saying, but I agree with you, Carp, in the sense that I don't really think I was ever going into this thinking this was an entirely unbiased take on the Michael. Like, the whole point of this was we knew that Michael basically – decided i mean the, i think it was ramona shelburne came out with that story and said after the Cavs won their title he was like okay i want to do this so we kind of knew that this whole thing was fueled by michael jordan i guess is what i mean harry as you kind of get a first-hand experience working in the espn over the last few months and you get to see i think the production aspect of things where you could watch this documentary and probably pick up on I mean, because you yourself are compiling uh, footage and gathering information and all that sort of thing. So for the scope of this 10-part documentary, again, understanding Ken Burns' criticism of it. But I'm also looking at it and thinking for what is in probably, at the end of it, 450 to 500 minutes of a film, essentially. I'm finding it impressive the amount... Uh, the scope, and somehow they're still finding a way to weave this timeline back and forth. So it's strictly from a storytelling perspective, I think it's doing its job. Well, yeah, I mean, they're doing a good job of making sure you're staying up to date with like what the main focus of it, or focuses of the uh, of the documentary, and that you know it's focusing on the last dance, the '97 '98 season. Um, I guess from a production standpoint, I I, I really don't have a lot to do with, you know, the way that this was kind of put together. <clears throat> I do know though that, you know, it is, it, it's crazy. Cause you go and you look at how far back they've had to grab stuff and, um, and, you know, just kind of trying to, like you said, weave it together with um, all the way back from the beginning of Jordan's career through, uh, through his final season. And it is, it's very impressive because I mean, you know, over there at ESPN, they have all that stuff, you know, they, they have all that stuff in archives and, uh, and just kind of saved away. But the uh, the amount of, like, you think, wow, this this is, did it really take as long as they said it take took to put this all together? Well, yeah, it kind of did, because you have to weave through thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of, uh, of not just footage, but also a lot of these things that are, you know, overdubbed with radio calls and with, uh, with news coverage of, you know, things from certain, you know, times like, you know, here's a, a talking head on, on whatever... Um, you know, news stations saying, you know, Michael Jordan was seen doing this. It's it, and it, that alone, probably like finding something like that takes time in itself. Yeah. And they have to do that for basically the entire, the entirety of this documentary. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's impressive the way that they were able to put this together. And um, I guess the thing that I, I would just be not really surprised about, but the thing that I understand now is, is um, that it really just, it's, you know, you're kind of asking yourself, did it really need to take as long as they said it took? Are they really pressed for time when they had to move it up from June to early April? Well, yeah, they really did need all that time. Yeah, they were talking well, about it, the director, too, that episodes eight and nine were not done at least two weeks ago when it debuted. They were not done yet because they got all the screeners out to everybody, and those last two episodes were not part of it. And I know, Trevor, you, you had kind of been asking that question when they moved the date up because on first glance it did seem pretty transparent that – Okay, we probably had it in the can, and ah, here you go. You're in quarantine. But uh, as I'm watching this and seeing the density of it, and it's not perfect, right? It's not a perfect documentary, but then again, other than OJ, Made in America, I don't know what is. Uh, that one is, oof, that's a good documentary. Yeah, but for, for what it is, Trevor, I, I continue to find myself, th there are valid criticisms of it. 
the timeline thing seems to bother some people, but I'm also thinking if this were a strictly narrative telling and or chronological telling, that we would be waiting until well, essentially next weekend to get anything about ninety seven, ninety eight. So I don't right. know what other way they could have done the narrative. Well, that was what exactly what I was just about to say was you know I was I wasn't necessarily critical of it, but you know the first two episodes as they begun. You know, it, it was it was marketed in a certain way to where you kind of thought that this was just ten hours of unprecedented insider access on the nineteen ninety seven ninety eight season, and I was fine with that. But you know, fairly early on, you kind of got the sense that this was more of a of an overarching Michael Jordan story than necessarily just strictly the ninety seven ninety eight season. And I, again, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, you know, the first couple episodes, I'm like, okay, so we're right in the middle of something in ninety seven ninety eight, and they suddenly scrolled back to 84 but to your point carp you know I, I i complained about that but then at the same time what do i want if the whole first episode was just 1984 and now we're on episode seven and we're still not into 1997 i'd probably be complaining about that <laughs> yeah sort of like the itching scratchy commercial or, or the episode where they are going to the fireworks factory but they never make it and millhouse is like oh come on get to the fireworks oh, yeah. factory I'm, I'm thinking about last night and when it hit me that they're doing a really good job of balancing these two as Mike Thomas would say, parallel tracks. You have the opening of episode five with Michael playing at Madison Square Garden and wearing his Jordan 1s, and then you get into the Nike thing, which I know that's not, that's a pretty obvious transition, but it's still following the timeline of this season where, okay, we're basically, what, three weeks away from the playoffs at that point. They get to this big game at Madison Square Garden, and then they bring in all this sort of consumerism and Nike contact. I don't think his socks were bloody, by the way. We didn't see it. It's like a Kurt well, Schilling just, thing. If they had un- unprecedented access, they showed him in the locker room after the game. If you if his feet were bleeding through his socks, you know damn well that the cameras would be all over that. I was hoping so. Yeah, and how do your how do your feet start to bleed from? I mean, shoes. I mean, what would that just be like rubbing up against the side of your ankle or what? Let's talk about this because Jordan is talking about his bloody feet. Listen, I love Michael Jordan. I grew up with it. This is a nostalgia trip. And I certainly am going to err on the side of, oh, yeah, you know, it's Michael Jordan. I believe him. But later in the gambling part of it, he's talking about <laughs> his exploits and just saying, you know, I mean, I could quit whenever I wanted to. It's like, uh uh-huh. The things he said sound like something that an, <laughs> a gambling addict would say to you to try and talk you off the ledge about your concerns about this. So we <laughs> go ahead, uh, Harry. This was the first episode because he started out the uh, documentary saying there's going to be some people watching this. That afterwards, you know, everyone's going to hate me. And I don't, you know, I don't hate Michael Jordan by any stretch of the imagination. But this was the first episode where I was watching it. And I started to think, okay, you know what? He's, this is the first, I knew about the gambling stuff. But this is the first time I'm watching him and really thinking, wow, this guy is, uh, he's not a perfect human being. And I didn't think that beforehand. But this is the first time you're seeing him not just look like, a, um, you know, not a perfect human being. But you're thinking like, dude, I mean, you are saying, I mean, you sound like, Every like gambling addict, every addict that there's ever been in, in this episode saying stuff like, I could quit anytime I want. I don't have a gambling problem. I have a comp- competitive problem. Like, like this was the first episode that I watched and really thought, um, and, and also, I mean, I, I loved both of the episodes last night, but this is the first episode I watched and thought, yeah, I can see where he's getting at. I can see where people are going to start to look at him and think, Okay, he's uh, he's not he's not perfect. I, I don't have an eating problem. I have a food problem. <laughs> well, Keith Richards, Keith Richards I was have famously a problem. 
<laughs> he once famously said, Keith Richards said, I don't have a drug problem. I have a police problem. And, <laughs> now, and I, I, as I was watching last night, uh, I, I had the first inkling of the unreliable narrator, which you learn about in high school. And I forget what one of the first books might have been. Maybe Great Gatsby, not Great Gatsby, uh, Catcher in the Rye, maybe slightly unreliable, narr- uh, un- unreliable narrator. But it was only in that gambling part of it where even as he's telling it now, it felt like he could have said, yeah, I gambled too much. I probably still gambled too much, you know, but he continued to kind of pivot back to, well, it's competitive. Now, at, on the other hand, though, personally speaking, I don't have an issue with that. And really addiction in general, I feel all, all too often gets pigeonholed that if you uh, do this arbitrarily, you are therefore an addict. If you're as rich as Michael Jordan, you can afford to be a gambling addict. And right. It, right? And so in in a way, not to excuse his actions, but I'm thinking in context of it. I can't really have an issue with a guy who's worth $2 billion, even if he does play a putt for five grand. Who cares? It's Or 300000 I think, was one story that Charles Barkley told. Well, I, and, and here's the thing is, I'm not saying I have anything wrong with it. I don't have any problem with gambling. I don't think it's, I mean, people kind of painted in this bad thing. If you gamble and you have the money to do it, then, you know, do with your money what you want to do with your money. But that doesn't mean that he's not an addict. And I'd that, say that's, that's the point I'm trying to get at. I, I like that when he, he said, uh, the only thing I've ever bet on is myself. And then he goes, and a lot of golf games. <laughs> and, also, <laughs> and also blackjack, but that doesn't hurt anybody. Well, and then the I pictured them cutting off the clip, but then he just keeps going. And also NBA <laughs> games. And then there was that one time in 97 when I bet on an MLB game. <laughs> I mean, the 93 Eastern Conference Finals, yeah, the first two games, I knew we were going to win the next four. I mean, this is the thing, is the, the, the same thing that Pete Rose, and he did bet on baseball. You know, he did. Uh, and that, that was proven. And you do wonder, for... The NBA, they could not afford for Jordan for it to ever be found out that Jordan might have bet on a game. They could not have afforded that. And but on the same time or on the opposite side of this token, I'm looking at how episode six ends and it's clearly hinting at, all right, he's about to retire. He's burnt out in 1993 and all that fame and fortune. Now, the conspiracy theory, of course, is that he retired in part because of those gambling issues and Stern made a deal with him that, okay, retire for a little bit, let the dust settle, and then you can come back. Now, that's the conspiracy theory. And they do address his gambling. But even though the documentary is framing it this way, they're trying to push us as the viewer into this direction, I buy the fact that there was burnout. That seems to me the uh, most logical reason why he would have retired in 1993. And even the footage after they won in Phoenix in 93, they talk about relief or joy. And essentially, he was relieved more than anything, and he looked tired. Well, the way I look, I mean, I think I definitely buy that there was burnout. But, I mean, at least from the way that it was set up in the uh, whatever that would have been yesterday, I forget if it was part five or part six, it's starting to seem like the burnout was uh, was from the media asking about things having to do with his uh you know with his gambling. So, um, you know, the, what was what was the official party line when when he uh, retired? Was it that I've done everything I wanted to do? Because they didn't really. Yeah. I mean, they haven't. They haven't. Uh, he hasn't retired yet in the documentary. But what was his statement of why? Because I doubt it had anything to actually do with gambling. The official line, and I remember it. I mean, it was it was shocking even though there were little hints of it throughout the summer. But the official line with it was that burnout, uh, his father had passed away, or got, I say passed away, he was murdered. Uh, and they'll get into that. Episode 7, I'm guessing, will be very dark. 
and his the, father was murdered. Yes. Yeah. He Sorry. Spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was driving, right? He was driving. He pulled over on the side of the road to just like fall, go to sleep. Right? Yes, th- that's the story. And two guys shot him, and he was, yeah. I think, missing for a long time. I mean, they found him wow. basically decomposing. Um, so you. You know, it makes sense. I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing. You couple that with burnout. You couple that with, the, or you add to that the fact that, you know, you went in the most dramatic fashion. You got the three-peat and you set yourself apart from Magic and Larry and Isaiah. You truly were the best player of that generation. So, you know, what more can you accomplish? I do understand that. Yeah. I, I thought Stern's comments were kind of interesting on the, on the gambling when he said, what do you say? It never got to such an existential crisis yeah. level that I had to be concerned about it. It's like, well, that doesn't sound like it was nothing. No, it sounds it, it was serious. And you wonder to what extent he still does it. Again, if you're worth two billion dollars, what does it matter? Michael Jordan has a Bovada. Oh, I'm sure. Does he? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm sure he does. Uh, <laughs> He's and... probably betting on the weather right now. But <laughs> you guys were having an interesting conversation in the text thread last night. And I, I'd fallen asleep by this point, but essentially <laughs> the end of episode six is really hitting hard the isolation that you feel when you're that famous. And I get it to an extent. And here's an example. Uh, Bono. I met Bono before YouTube show. He's very gracious at this time. He's got handlers and people like security guards. So he's protected. But if he wanted to just go down and grab some Olive Garden, which I don't know why he would, but let's just say he did. Wow. Bono <laughs> grabbing an Olive Garden before a concert. Or a nice Bob Evans breakfast. Then <laughs> <laughs> it'd be hard. And I was thinking, on the other hand, there's, let's say, one of my favorite bands is Queens of the Stone Age. And their lead vo- lead guy is worth a few million. And he lives in comfort. And yet he could probably go out in the street. And only his most hardcore fans would recognize who he is. That, to me would be the ideal amount of fame. So here's Jordan, the most famous person of the 20th century. I buy it that there is a psychological and mental component to that that would be absolutely draining. And and it makes even more sense to me when they frame it in context of 93 and retiring early. I mean, I understand I understand the concept that, you know, he was always followed by everyone. And that it would get maybe bothersome to always be having to, you know, be on and having to always be a squeaky clean image. My only question is, if he has that much money, if he's that loaded, can you not literally just pay hundreds of people to basically pave your way through a day? You can't convince money can't me fix that everything, can. Harry. Well, did, um, why not? If you have that much, I'm just I'm not convinced. That you can't, I mean, he has enough money to pay 40 people $30,000 each for, like, you know, just saying, hey, you, just, you know. Human shield. Yeah, basically. Form a human tunnel so I can get to my car, so I can go play golf. Yeah, but here's the thing. You would be paying more people to keep you away from people. So, in essence, you're just adding to the mass of people around. Like, there's no such thing as a perfect human shield. I don't know this from experience. I'm just guessing. So, <laughs> is that a saying? <laughs> no, you dude. It's... Ken Burns always said it. There's no such thing as a perfect human shield. <laughs> Speaking of which. Well, no, like, like, I'm just saying, like, like say, he's in his, say he's in his hotel, and he says, you know what? I want to go do such and such. And then they say, you know, he tells his. He wants his to get Olive Garden. 
Yeah, he wants to go to TGI Fridays for some chicken wingers. <laughs> or like, well, what's like a good TGI Fridays name for food? Like like uh, chicken well, zips. The Jack Daniels chicken. chicken. Do you ever have the Jack zips. Daniels chicken at TGI Fridays? Yeah. So, oh, so, so, he, so he wants to go out and he wants to, he wants to do that. If he tells his head security guy, I, I have a hard time believing he wouldn't just say, okay, give me 15 minutes. And then he you know calls the right 50 people with the amount of money that Jordan has. Just say, hey, clear out the lobby. Hey, clear out the parking lot. Hey, clear out this. Clear out that for five minutes so he can walk out. Are you telling me that couldn't be done? He'd probably just get it as takeout, though, and bring it back to him. Yeah, My point if you, is just if you're going to If you're going to TGI Fridays <laughs> for those zippity-doo-dahs. And, and here you know, it's always Friday. Right. Bottomless margaritas. Is it I mean, weird I, that when I watch him smoke a cigar in a hotel room, I'm like, you can't do that. It's no, no that was smoking. my reaction, too. It's like, wow, everybody's <laughs> – it's 1997. Come on, people. Yeah. Well, it's the 90s. What it's would Ken 90s. Burns – if Ken Burns would have made this documentary, what would he have called it? Huh. Hoop? <laughs> Ball? <laughs> a guy named Michael. America. <laughs> America. <laughs> no other context. No subtitle or anything. Just America. But if you think about it, all his documentaries, like Vietnam, that's yeah. it. No, no he do, clever he, he doesn't name. Spend much time on the title. He just gets to the the, the meat of the subject. I mean, he's about, to, a, sub, he's about a sub minute for publication. Then, like you know, his lead advisor is just like Ken. You don't have a name yet. Um, <laughs> ah, damn, damn. Uh, well, well, yeah, oh, there we go. <laughs> but my point, Harry, one. that we were talking about last night is human shield. Let's let's <laughs> back to the human yeah, shield. To... <laughs> but he's got a wife and kids, right? And like the little bit where the guy goes, "You want to call your wife after he wins the title?" And he's like, "Uh, sure." But like, what? Like a, my example is, what if his kid on a Saturday says, "Daddy, I want to go to the Chicago Zoo." How are you going to accomplish that? You literally can't. Can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, why not just have all those people? Human shield. By the way, what is it? The, the perfect human shield. If we want to go way back, okay. Is the perfect human shield a good uh, a good Gin Blossoms album? Why? Because people would run for the hills at the side of the new Gin Blossoms album. Uh, 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 no, I don't know. It's just I, it's, we were. Oh, ago, oh, we oh, had oh! A really good Gin Blossom album cover. You're talking? Are you talking about album cover or album title? Album title. Hum- Gin Blossoms Human Shield, the long-awaited <laughs> follow-up to. <laughs> halfway to worry town <laughs> halfway to worry town <laughs> no no but no I, and I get that and i yeah. get that but i just i mean especially if you're out in a public place i mean even if you are as big as michael jordan is if he were to want to go there and do that he has the resources to make that as normal as he can i understand i'm just arguing that no matter how much money you have your quality of life will be different if you can't go anywhere without getting mobbed I think that's fair. I mean, to me, it is, listen, no one's playing the world's smallest violin for Michael Jordan and his $2 billion, right? And he has found some sort of way, especially since retirement in 98, and even when he was with the Wizards, things had cooled down by then, where he, I'm guessing, lives a somewhat isolated life, but for the most part, stays out of the public eye. It's a credit to him. He's found some way to balance that. But I mean, I have no idea what his wife looks like or where he lives or anything. Do you know what his wife now looks like? No, man. I'm looking it up. Did he outkick his coverage? 
I mean, come on, it's Michael Jordan. He doesn't. <laughs> you know he what? He looks a little. He looks a little, just a tad bit frightening these days. You know well, what I mean? Well, he like okay. his eyes are just a little bit bloodshot. He looks like a dragon. They they are glazed over. He's bigger, and <laughs> He's he has this earrings. weird thing about wearing oversized suits. And I know it. Fortunately, <laughs> yeah. in his interview segments, he's just wearing a t-shirt and chilling in a chair. But man, be- and I know this is a '90s thing. But even into the 2000s, his suits are like—I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Talking Heads live video of them performing once in a lifetime with David Byrne. But that's essentially <laughs> it. It is the oversized Talking Head suit. My dad loves that. Every time I mention that song, because um, I like that song. I don't that's really know song. a lot of Talking Head songs, but. Uh, every time I mention, like, hey, Dad, that song came on on the radio. He just does the thing with his arm that, um, <laughs> yeah. that the leads. <laughs> yeah, what David Byrne. Same as it ever was. Yes, yeah. That's his wife? Wow. Yeah, she's yeah. a Cuban, right, Cuban-American model. But his first wife, because he was married back then, that was Juanita, was his first wife. And I think one of the preconditions for this documentary was no interviewing his wives, uh, Juanita and then the current wife, and no interviewing his kids. I think those are the only oh, conditions. Oh, no, Jeff Jordan. No, Jeff Jordan. So no Bruce Damn. Weber, unfortunately. No Bill you're Cole. Watching, you're watching episode seven, and Bill Cole pops on the screen. Yeah, it was kind of cool when Michael was sitting in the bleachers. That was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, it's uh, another thing that I found interesting last night was, and Harry, this is right up your alley because I know you're a very political person. Oh yeah, was the. Quote, of course, the famous quote from the early 90s when Jesse Helms was running against, what was the guy's name? Gant, I think, for U.S. Senate out of North Carolina. Henry Gant or something? I think Henry Gant, yeah. Harvey Gant? Harvey Dent? Harvey Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent? Could it be Harvey Dent? So Jesse Helms is a notoriously racist. In fact, and this is... Perfect name for a notorious racist. Totally. And this is something that people, they included it last night, and I did a double take. He wins that election, and he says there will be no joy in Mudville tonight. <laughs> yeah. Now, I yeah, I know I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was like a, the most racist thing I had ever heard, or if that was like an actual city. It's it's from Casey at the Bat, right? The old poem. But I'm thinking, okay, this guy doesn't. His track record would suggest that he knew what he was saying. So I thought that was interesting that they included that. And I saw a few people comment on that same quote on Twitter, which made me feel like, okay, I'm not crazy in, in maybe viewing it that way. But the the famous quote, of course, is, well, Republicans buy sneakers, too, in regards to why he did not endorse or actively campaign for this Gantt guy. He said he contributed to the campaign. And I find myself going back and forth because I know LeBron, for all the crap he gets, I give him credit for using the influence he has to further issues that he believes in. And he puts his money where his mouth is in terms of Akron and the money that he provides for the youth there, paying for college. Yeah, helping out the Zips, of course. And <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, that is one advantage, I would say, about LeBron using that, that power to the benefit of people who might need it. On the other hand, is it a requirement of someone that has that influence to be active? I mean, is it unfair for us to say, well, Jordan should have done this or should have done that when he's just saying, I'm just a basketball player? I mean, can he use that or is that a cop out? I don't I don't think it's ever a requirement of anyone to do like, I mean, if he's a basketball player and he, I mean, how can we possibly say it's a requirement of for him to do something that he is not an expert in the field of? 
I mean, as far as we know, he has no idea, like, um, how any of, like, and like, you know, like you guys know, I'm not huge on politics, but what if he's not big on politics? Why is it his requirement then to get involved? It's not. He's a basketball player. What I noticed in reading the Jordan rules, which they addressed it last night, uh, and it's a great book. It's like seven bucks on Kindle. So I just read it in about a week. And during the 1990-91 season is when the Operation Desert Storm went down with George H.W. Bush as president. And Sam Smith was, I mean, the reporters rode the bus with the team and they rode the plane with the team. And after it was launched, Phil Jackson, who, of course, is very zen and pretty liberal, he asked the team, well, what do you think about it? And Jordan and Pippen were like, yeah, bomb the crap out of Saddam, you know. So I think, you know, he <laughs> <laughs> he is just kind of a dude that doesn't read up on it and has no interest in it and is just reactive to it. Yeah. I mean, to me, I find myself torn on it because I think on one hand, I can respect LeBron for the fact that he is as much of an activist as he is because he is. It's risky to do that when you have as many endorsements as he does. Uh, on the other hand, there, like you said, Harry, I don't think there is a requirement for Jordan to be essentially Muhammad Ali. I mean, there was one Muhammad Ali. And is that the benchmark that we're going to set for any famous athlete going forward? I mean, that's a pretty high uh, benchmark for any famous athlete to achieve. How about that statement last night by that guy who said, uh, Michael Jordan might be forgotten. Uh, Muhammad Ali will <laughs> never be forgotten. Yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, that, that, that stood the test of time. Hot take right there, dude. But I, I, I Go ahead, Trevor. No, I just, my initial reaction was similar to yours, Carp, in the sense that my only takeaway at first from that little 10-minute bit was, well, that was LeBron's first point scored in the MJ versus LeBron debate. But at the same time, like, I truly, I'm I'm with Harry in the sense that I don't think there's some unwritten rule requiring an extra famous person to suddenly take on all these duties beyond his job requirements yeah. to the point where we should be like admonishing his name in, in, in the record books of legends just because he didn't want to talk about political activism. Yeah, because I, I mean, like, like, if you think about it, basically, he, like, the way I'm looking at it is this. He's the greatest basketball player in the world at this point. He, uh, you know, he's one of the most, probably the most famous person on the face of the planet. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's the most recognizable brand in the world. And when someone asked him something having to do with politics, he gave an answer that was as close to "I don't care" as possible, and that blew up. How is that fair? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. You know, I think the reason that that off-the-cuff remark, which he, and I think they even addressed that in the Jordan Rules book that I, I just got done with, is that it was taken out of context, because we can, I mean, God knows the things we've said, especially off the air, if that was ever yeah. quoted, you know, and then I would say, no, 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 it was a joke, and it's like, oh, come on, it wasn't, you know, yeah, sometimes you say things in jest, and as big of a deal as that was, and as virulent of a racist as Jesse Helms was, it does seem unfair that a off-the-cuff remark from Jordan about sneakers was translated into this guy doesn't care because unbeknownst to everybody, he still donated to that campaign anyways. And for all we know, it was an astronomical amount. Uh, he, he, right. does, he strikes me as someone that, especially by that point, you know, he was so exposed in many other ways that you enter another arena, the polit political arena. I mean, it, talk about exhaustion. He was already exhausted anyways, I think, juggling what he did have. Yeah, and, and I mean, you saw a few episodes ago, it was a clip where he was sort of just like, 
shooting the you-know-what with his friends in the locker room about the president and even the camera guy that he granted limited access to. He said, you got to get out because we're talking politics. Like, he, he just didn't want that to be part of his his public persona. Not, And I don't really think that he even talked about it that much. You know, it's not like in private he was some sort of great political mind or something, and he just didn't want that to come out publicly. I'm pretty sure, like Harry said, he just didn't really care that much. You know, I was thinking of is how when they were talking about the political thing, as much charisma as he has, he wouldn't be a terrible politician. And here's what I mean by that. His charisma, Michael Jordan, comes through what he did on the court and the way that they marketed him as the best athlete in the world. But when it comes to sort of political persuasion or the ability to talk and and get you kind of buying into his newsletter, I don't... That's a Simpsons up. Do you guys remember that? The line from The Simpsons? It's a... your ideas intrigue me, and I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. I forget what episode <laughs> that came from, but that—that's. Does Homer say that? Yes, that seems like something he would say. And I forget what the context is. It's in one of the classic seasons, but the—the the reason I don't know why that hit me. Where there was a game I played on, and this is May the Fourth, by the way. May the Fourth be with you. It was a Star Wars uh, strategy game. Why, where Harry, what? It's, that's so lame. That's what. <laughs> it's the stupid. I saw this commercial yesterday where it was. You know, we asked people what they would watch on Disney Plus on May the 4th. And, you know, obviously everyone's saying Star Wars. I just, this should speak to just the, the, the level of, of what Star Wars is. Everyone is, is mentioning how, what Star Wars are going to watch. No one mentioned the prequels because they are garbage. When a third of your franchise is utter garbage, how could you be that great? Now, now, I thought we, Revenge we, of the Sith was fine. We've talked garbage. about it before. We've talked about it before, how. I think Star Wars is awesome, but if you also look at it critically without any previous context or bias, you could probably argue like seven of the nine movies suck. You could. I I think about half of them are good. Half of them are good. Five out of the nine are good. good. I think that the original trilogy, I think that Revenge of the Sith, I think that Force Awakens (laughs) are, are good, legit. And I think that and I like Last Jedi. I do too, and I I still enjoy. We're going to watch Rise of Skywalker tonight. I still enjoy it, or maybe I, I will. Well, we'll see when I watch it again tonight. It's fine. The, the first two are great. The third one is good. I like Jedi. Um, the prequels, all three of them, trash. The only good part <laughs> of any of them is the lightsaber battles, and those make up a minuscule amount. There's and more I good just, parts. Like Anakin talking about sand. No, like or, yes, you pick, you handpicked the worst or, or part. Or yes, him, that. Or him screaming at Padme how she's a liar. Well, she was a liar. Her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Those those movies, the prequels. There's not. There's like one percent of them. No, she was a liar. <laughs> and, and then the I mean, newer movies, I have no problem with, but they're not making me like. I'm not going back. You know, saying, "Oh, this is on. I gotta watch this." Harry, <laughs> episode. Had me a liar. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he just screams okay. at her, "Liar!" <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember why. And, oh, 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 are we not even going to talk about how Padme, like, how she died of a broken heart? Are you kidding me? I mean, that was a metaphor. That... Oh God. <laughs> Harry, the, oh my god he, he literally like forced through a nine-month pregnant woman to the that's ground that's how she died now no it's not no it's not because the robot tells you she died of a broken and he even says it in that just oh that i don't know i kind of like revenge of the sith i do too uh, 
But I got to say, there was a great bit on uh, Patrice O'Neill was a comic back in the day. And he was talking about he liked it okay, but his least favorite part in Revenge of the Sith is at the end. They show the two babies and they're like, this is Luke. And this <laughs> is Leia. And he's like, well, no, you know, come on, give me a break. We know. Well, she was sort of, she was naming them as she was dying, sort of like half-heartedly, like she was looking at it and going, Leia, as if she that's was right, actually it, just it, coming up it. with that name off the top yes. of her head. And there's also the whole Frankenstein homage where Darth Vader is told by Palpatine yeah. she didn't survive or whatever. And then he does his whole, he becomes unshackled and just like Frankenstein, which is an homage. Is an homage. Well, that was terrible the way he did them. No, I mean, no. that was just awful. Yeah. That will live on in infamy. But, but overall. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Phantom Menace has enough redeemable qualities that it is a five out of 10 movie, not a one out of 10. I really oh, dislike I think, that movie. God. I think I tried it again. is a solid seven out of 10. I you got you guys know me. I'm not adamant about most things, but calling calling Phantom Menace anything above a three out of ten. That's <laughs> Phantom Menace I mean, is I a give, bore. I give it. I it give is it, boring for sure. I'll give it. Here's the points I'll give it. I'll give it two points for the lightsaber battle at the end, and I'll give it one point for the pod racing. That's uh-huh. as much as I can do. I, I I don't know any other scenes in that movie. A lot of crude racial stereotypes in Phantom yeah. Menace too. Yeah, it was actually on last night on TNT, and I flipped over to it after the last dance, and it was the first few minutes. And I wish I could remember. Um, I don't know how to describe them. They're like the fish-looking guys at the beginning that are Jamaican, African, uh, yeah, Nemoidian, right? That's like the name of the race in yeah. Star Wars. Or I something. think, and they're, yeah, they're talking they're like, like yeah. "Oh, you over there, do that," and it's like. <laughs> Who allowed this? Well, and then there's Watto. Watto is this total stereotype of like a Jewish pawnbroker in New York. Yeah, yeah. Big nose and every. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So I, I don't know what George <laughs> Lucas is thinking, but well, I do know what he was thinking, which is kind of scary. But uh, he was thinking that Jar Jar is the key to the whole thing. That's that was he did. Exact quote. Said that verbatim. He did say that verbatim, and I'm thinking about that movie, Harry and and Trevor about how when that came out, and he continued to harp on this idea, and we'll get back to the Jordan thing in a second, but this is a good aside, uh, how he he said, well, this is a movie for kids, and I'm like, I'm a sixth yeah. grader. This movie sucks. I'm never watching this again. And really, what the odd thing about Phantom Menace is all the hype. I went to school the next day after the midnight showings. I didn't go to the midnight showing, but my math teacher, who I st- still t- stay in touch with, Mr. Bechtel, I'm like, hey, how was it? How was it? And he was like, yeah, uh, it was good. You know, there was a, a pod race and a good lightsaber battle. You know, was, you'll, you'll like it. And I could tell. I could tell the way he delivered like, oh, damn it. Well, I was going to ask because I had no context because it was, what, in 1999? So I was three when mm-hmm. it came out. Yeah. You know, I don't remember watching it in the theater for the first time. So I, I was kind of curious if people walking out of the theater that night before seeing any public backlash knew that it sucked. Yes, they did. I, they did. And if there I would have been a Reddit or if there would have been a Twitter, it would have been, you thought Last Jedi, the reaction was bad, which here's the thing, Last Jedi, you can say what you want, but it's a well-made movie. I mean, it's well yeah. done and it's entertaining. So then you compare that to what it would have been in 1999. It, it was so bad that when I went to go see Attack of the Clones, I left the theater exhilarated because I was like, yeah, we're back, baby. Star Wars is back. Which, of course, in hindsight, it isn't very good. But then it's, Revenge of the I, Sith works. Revenge of the Sith worked, Harry. You should give that one another go. No, I, you, 
you say that like I've only seen it one time in my life. Oh. I've seen that movie enough times. It's not a good movie. Mm. I think it has that, enough good scenes, though. Like, there's the one where he's sitting in the weird opera thing with Palpatine. Yeah, that's a good scene. Describing how to save death. That's interesting. And then you've got Mace Windu facing off with him. And then you've got, I mean, Order 66 is a good scene. Oh, of course. A lot of good scenes. And I, I agree. And but I think it's really well plotted and tightly done. I mean, they pack a lot in. I thought upon rewatching it in December, we did all of the movies before Rise of Skywalker came out. And I was really engrossed in it. And I'm thinking, I'm not, this isn't revisionist history. Like, I'm enjoying it right now after seeing it maybe for the fourth time ever. The only thing I think of when I think of that scene with Mace Windu is, you know, first of all, Anakin's acting is atrocious. That's no surprise well, to yeah, anyone. Of course. <laughs> well, he's what, just bad. what yeah. have I done right after he <laughs> kills, kills uh, Mace Windu? And then, you know, what has he done? And then immediately, like similar to the, this is Luke, this is Leia, uh, Palpatine goes up and says, you are now Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. Like, Vader. has any kind of meaning. <laughs> And, and 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 oh my God! It, it, his acting just ruins the whole thing for me. I, it, it's I'm, it's it's his acting, but Harry, it's also the Shakespeareanly written dialogue when it makes no sense to talk like that. Like you said, what have I done? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then immediately after saying "What have I done?" You, you know, you'd think he'd have some kind of remorse or something. Then um, Palpatine, you know, says, "You know, you're Darth Vader now." He goes, "I'll do whatever you want." It's like. Where did that come from? If you go well, from being, to save Padme. yeah, oh, and then that whole thing, there's like, why? Because you're having dreams that she's gonna die. Are yeah, you just kidding like how me? How he had dreams that his mom was oh. gonna die, and then she literally died the exact way he dreamt. Now the worst, yeah, but her, the worst in all the Star Wars universe in terms of naming things was in the movie Solo, and Han is I trying to that. get on a train or so. You don't need it. it's it's very dis- you miss disposable. Absolutely. And he, they're like, what's your name? And he's like, Han. It's like, hey, you with anybody? He's like, no, I'm going solo. I mean, it's, that's essentially it. And then he yeah, got the name Han like a, Solo. It was like a TSA check-in line or something, and they asked him for his last name, and he said because he's going solo, he's, his last name is Solo. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That movie yeah. was just bad. It, it was it was whatever. I it, <laughs> and, the, and the inclusion guys... of- the inclusion of that, I don't, Harry, are you ever going to watch it? No, no. And if you guys okay. say this movie's bad and you're trying to defend Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith, I know this It's more entertaining probably... than Phantom Menace, but that doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. It's like a one out of ten. I don't know if I'd ever watch it again. I'm never going to see it again, man. And the inclusion of Darth Maul just made me just, why? Why? It, and it, it's, 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 it's like in post-production they decided... Well, we've got to have some type of classic nod to somebody to get people excited. About yeah, and this. when it showed up in the theater, there was no reaction at all. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It's, it's they might as well have just thrown Count Dooku in there, and people would be like, oh, "What? That Christopher Lee? I thought he died five years ago. What the hell is this?" <laughs> well, I went on—I don't know if it was opening night, but the theater was sold out. And you're right, Carp. Absolutely, no one reacted to that. There was not like an audible <gasps> or anything. And that's why when I think about Rogue One, which I'm not one of those that thinks Rogue uh, One uh. is. Quite, Nine out of ten. It's really I good. Just, I, 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 I don't know why I'm so leery to say it's that good, but it is good. But it's the, that good. Talk about the oh crap moment, the way that movie ends. And really the last from um, Darth Vader's scene in the tunnel, which is just incredible. I mean, that's, that is an all-time Star Wars moment. And then well, the that's final the first shot. time you actually see Darth Vader being a badass. 
ever. Did you know? I think about the entire first trilogy. Like, it's always weird, poorly affected Darth Vader scenes. Yeah, you're right. And I'm thinking about, too, how Darth Vader, I saw this uh, image earlier this week. Someone compiled it where essentially Darth Vader in Star Wars A New Hope is on the screen for all of like 20 minutes, maybe. 20, he's maybe the, 30 minutes. He's not the main bad guy. It's Moff Tarkin. Right, and just how it's the same concept as Jaws. You don't see the shark until the very end, and that's why sometimes yeah. less is more with the bad guys especially. Don't overuse them. Sort of like how in The Dark Knight, I remember thinking as I watched it, man, I wish Joker was in every scene. But it made his scenes that much more impactful because you had to wait 25, 30 minutes before he showed up again. So that, well, well done when they kind of use those villains sparingly and see that that's kind of my reason like for me rogue one it, it's kind of like a situation where i don't know any of these characters i'm not emotionally invested enough to care about them them dying i just didn't care i thought it was a good movie but i it's like like i said it's nothing i'm going to go back and watch again just because i don't care who cares about the team that got the plans for the death star that was such a minute little one line one-off in the first movie anyway. Oh, we got these well, planes. Oh, I don't know. I mean, no, people no, 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 ask no, no. about people ask about that though because it seemed like such an easy cop-out solution to a new hope, right? Like, oh, we just happen to have the exact blueprint of how to destroy the thing we need to destroy. And now we know how. Well, it, it, the, what I was going to get back to is it didn't bother me. I mean, like the whole Darth Vader being like super badass and slaying people. I really, I mean, that was, yeah, that was cool and all, good effects. But for me, it's, it's more, for me, it's more so like, like, um, in, say, the, in the Alien movies. Like, a, the first Alien. That's the other example, Harry. That's the other example. The yeah. Alien's in, the Alien is in it for like five minutes. Yeah, the first Alien movie is probably like my favorite, one of my favorite movies, top it's five incredible. of all time. Yeah. And he, and you barely see the Alien even attack people at all. It's more just the suspense of him being there. Now, Aliens is a good movie and you see a little bit more of that. But then in the movies where you really see a lot of like alien killing people and you know like I saw Alien 3 or Alien Cubed as it's called and that one has the most like blood Never and gore. It's not I don't recommend. Now, here's it's the deal, get this. Who cares? Directed by David Fincher, who of course has went on to a great career, huh. but Fincher. He he did not have <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have creative he didn't have yeah, creative yeah. control so he no. has sort of disowned that movie because the studio came in and they mess with it and his original cut has never been shown i don't think but well, it's uh, like steven spielberg being credited as the kingdom of the crystal skull producer even oh, though he wants nothing to do with that movie. god uh there's also uh to your point harry i know you love this movie bad guys use sparingly no country for old men uh anton sugar Oh yeah, right. But that's the thing, man. You got to keep him. He's on the screen for maybe a quarter of that movie, if that. I might like that movie if I watched it again. Oh, it's so good, I did man. just, I just watched There Will Be Spuds, mm-hmm. and that was actually pretty good. <laughs> Wasn't it good? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was really good. So wait, Harry, you had this theory about um, about Daniel Plainview as portrayed by Daniel Day Lewis. That if I were to ask you a question and you're Daniel Plainview. Yep. Yep. So let's see here, uh, Harry. How are you doing in all this quarantine stuff? How's the family, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's don't like deflect. That's half, the, that's half the quote. That's half the movie. Yeah, it's, it's especially noticeable when he's talking to his brother. 
his brother, <clears throat> you know, yeah, yeah, quotes. and uh, yeah, I just watched that actually at the start of quarantine. Cause I hadn't seen in a few years and it is my, that in 2001 are my one a and one B. I absolutely love that movie. I could watch it I've once a year. I need to neither of those movies yet. I would, yeah. I would certainly recommend, uh, the, you know, there will be mud. I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I thought it, it started out kind of, uh, there will be st- dud. Sounds good. Yeah, it does. It does. That one, that, that one's, that, that's the making of milk duds, right? That's how the, right. they get the chocolate right. the like inside of those. Behind the, those are good. Inside look at Whoppers, yeah. <laughs> behind the nougat cloak of what is milk duds. Right, right. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis yeah, stars is the I, Whopper CEO. Yeah. And, and I guess my only problem with movies like, like this one, Carp, is that, like, I understand the artistic idea of there being very little dialogue but it gets to a point where it's not realistic for someone's son or someone's father to die and then no one makes any deal of it and he just takes the kid like you, that would have never happened oh like, man this is like 18 kind of talking about this is 18 dickety six man i mean that you, doesn't matter the, 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 <laughs> you could steal a baby and there were no there was no crimes for stealing a baby back then they just you just like, did it I understand the little dialogue aspect of it, but it gets to a point where this is just trying to be cinematic for the point of being cinematic as hmm. opposed to being realistic. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, they were just like five dudes working on an oil rig, and then the dad dies, spoiler alert, and then but, Daniel but, Plainview just takes the kid. Who was going to ask a question? One, but not one single word of dialogue? Yeah. Like, no, 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 oh, S-H-I-T, no, oh, crap, no, what do we do? No, is he alive? Is he okay? Is oh, you're talking just... about how the opening 20 minutes have no dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it's, that. It's literally just, just this guy gets smacked in the head. They mm-hmm. look at each other, and now the baby is his. Mm-hmm. And he gives the baby whiskey to calm it down. <laughs> yeah, that's, I thought that was pretty cool. Getting it started that's, that's, off young. You know how sequels will always do minor tweaks to the name? So an example would be like Madagascar back to Africa, which with a, a T O O, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. There's look who's talking to. Okay, so that's T O O. Now, the Madagascar it uses the number two, but I'm uh-huh. thinking like there will be blood, and if there's a sequel, they would just change there to they are, or like they they would do all the homonyms, and it would make absolutely no sense. Well, how about? <laughs> There will be blood, but it's B E E, and it's about it's about bees. Side note, side note, Carp. Very interesting movie choice for you to use Madagascar too. I only saw that uh, <laughs> we were searching for movies on. I think it's on Netflix or something right now. But it just popped up, and I said, "Madag, that's a stupid name for a movie." Well, it would have been Disney Plus, right? Isn't that Disney? Is it? That's I thought it was Warner Wars. Brothers or DreamWorks. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's DreamWorks. Speaking of animated I, movies. I, I still get confused by that. Even though Harry's given me a, a way to figure it out, it still doesn't make I, any sense to me. Yeah, Car- I tried a couple times. Kara put on Inside Out yesterday. Oh, talk good about movie. Pixar at its best. You know, that, that movie it's good, but for it. some reason that doesn't hit me like people seem to really? say it does. I don't know. Man, last, that movie gets me big. The last scene the last scene where she comes back in the, in the house, that's the part that always gets me because that's their Pixar sad moment i watched a pixar movie recently uh, is that when she watched... admits she's sad harry like that's yeah. when yeah. she acknowledges yes yeah. i agree and um, there's bing bong don't get me started on bing bong oh my god oh poor bing Ugh. bong i i saw i saw onward which i thought was really good okay um definitely recommend watching that the end to onward is really powerful 
and um, it kind of it makes the whole movie as a as a, like on its own is probably like a six or seven out of ten. The ending's like a nine. Um, but then I saw the good dinosaur. No redeeming qualities. Never, it never even bothered to watch. That's the yeah. lowest rated Pixar movie, I think. I'd rather watch uh, The Land Before Time if I'm going to go back to another. Right? Yeah, all, all twelve of them. Yeah, <laughs> they kept they kept releasing yeah. those things back in the day. Okay, they so anyways, feel those out on a boring day on those TV carts. You know what I'm talking about in school where they'd have the TV yes. strapped to the moving cart. I swear to God, they played all twelve of those like five times a year each, just to shut us up for a few hours. <laughs> it worked. It would work. Hey, so then Michael Jordan says to the guy, <laughs> "Right, <laughs> perfectly tie it back together." <laughs> That's what we do. We're all about transitions. I don't even know what the oh, heck we were talking about. We, we started with Star Wars, but I don't oh, know. Oh, oh, oh. From- Here's what it was. Here here was my point. To relate it back to Star Wars. Star Wars. And it was like twenty minutes ago. Before. I know it was. It was at the thirty minute mark as I'm looking at it here on the, the <laughs> counter. So I mentioned how Jordan, as charismatic as he is, doesn't have the, the political aura about him. And the example I was thinking about is this old Star Wars game that I have called Rebellion, which is a strategy game and you can be the empire or you can be the rebellion and you have all the characters and they do different things so i could send princess leia on a diplomatic mission and she'll win over a planet but i can't send han solo because even though he's a hundred percent leadership quality he's like five percent diplomacy does that not gonna be good with that yeah yeah, so what i don't know what it is and i can't really put my finger on why i was looking at jordan last night and thinking man this guy is like one of the coolest dudes ever he's he's an icon and yet He'd be the worst politician ever. It just wouldn't work, and I don't know why that is. Why does Why does Han Solo have a hundred percent leadership qualities? He's a He's a lone lone wolf, isn't he? No, well, this took place after they they took out the first Death Star, so he was a leader and a hero at that point. I thought he just kind of swooped in at the very end. He did. I mean, but, he did. But without him, it's, yeah. it, it, it's kind of like giving Anakin credit for turning at the end of Return of the Jedi, like. Oh, that, don't get me started. How does he get to be one of the good guy, like blue little floating ghosts because he did one act of kindness or not even kindness of, you know, saving his own child after killing billions of people. Yeah. After, after murdering small children, I guess it's okay. As long as you save your own son, I forgive you, dad. I was, I was just talking about the, the, all the planets he killed with the death star. Yeah. I'm talking about like hand to hand. I mean, he's killed children. Killed the younglings. Yes, yeah. all of them. That was awesome. Brutal. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was. So it was a pretty awesome scene. Seth, and the only redeeming scene was when he kills little kids. Okay. Well, yeah, and the reason behind that is because if you look at that movie where um, Ewan McGregor says Anakin was on tape killing younglings, he's he has to cover his mouth because he is literally about to laugh like like he is laughing he cannot believe how bad the dialogue is in that movie yoda completely failed the jedi and the jedi overall overall just completely failed by the way no i mean i just mean in the sense of again i tuned in last night was watching bits of attack of the clones and phantom menace it was on i think it was tbs or something and he's sitting there in palpatine's office just having like a basically a face-to-face zoom meeting with the guy Mm -hmm. just talking about like oh how are things going and he keeps saying something like you know uh, jedi are all powerful i can sense the dark force near me and i'm like he's right there in front of you Mm, something's not right here up on the fact that, that the guy was right smack dab in front of him is just ridiculous and and have, have Trevor was it you who 
told me this, or I think I might have told you this, or maybe it's just kind of something we both know. Early on with Yoda in like uh, in Empire, like his talking is maybe he switches a word here or there, like like, and it's it's kind of cool. It's like all wise talking, like how he's doing it. And then by the time it's Revenge of the Sith, it's just complete like word vomit scramble like, <laughs> not about it have anything i do have it to do with it's that getting thing. a little bit ridiculous by that point yeah because so it wasn't well, like in, that in the original in empire no, it you almost thought he was like comedy relief for a few minutes yeah. because he was just so like he was smacking r2 with did, the, that scene with still gets like, me <laughs> like he looked like a little weird goblin or something there's some there's yeah. one line in that where he says uh i forget the first part but, but it always ends with what he was doing you know, he's like yeah, pointing yeah. the stick at Luke. He's yeah. like, what oh, he yeah, was yeah. doing? Okay, so anyways, yeah. back to that point. It's <laughs> funny that you remember that because I, I specifically also remember. He was, it's like he was not aware of where he was or something like what that. What he was doing. Yeah, th- there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Um, okay. I think we're done with the Jordan thing. I mean, I don't know. But that was just an obser- observation. Yeah, we, try- we tried to bring it back to Michael Jordan and just kind of turn into Star Wars again so the second time. What's next week's? Did they say what it's going to be about? Uh, Bill Wennington and... (laughs) (laughs) I felt bad for Tony Kukoc. He's going into that game like, oh my gosh, here's my new buddies. I can't wait to play with them. And for no reason having to do with him whatsoever, both Scotty and MJ are like, F this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dude, Jordan, if you think about it, he... It's almost... Not almost. It probably is a sickness. And someone had made the point that if... Someone said something like, you know, the Beatles are the greatest band ever. And then Jordan's like, oh, yeah, what about my song? Or, you know, and then he just like compulsively starts writing songs in the quest to become the greatest songwriter ever. It's like, no, dude, just let them have it. And I thought, too, that the scene with the now infamous mullet security guard, who I guess had passed away earlier this year. He had the blonde mullet and they played quarters in that room. And he was at the United Center in Chicago Stadium for years. But anyways... That scene, if you watch Jordan after he loses, uh, he pays up, but he's pissed. Oh, yeah. He's legit pissed, and you could tell that the security guard, he takes his money, and he kind of he's joking, but he knows he should probably leave at that moment, too, let Jordan cool off. And I'm thinking that that is so compulsive that you know we are romanticizing it to an extent because he's so rare and it's so unique, but you know... Along the way, there were probably, as I read in the book and as many people have told stories about, you know, he probably, it, it has negatively affected his relationships. There's no doubt. It has to have. I, I mean, you hear a lot of time people say that he has tendencies akin to a, uh, to a psychopath or sociopath. I forget what the difference is between the two. Um, I think it's psychopath where it's he, um, he only cares about one thing and, you know, and it, it, it's very... It's very, you know, all that matters is me and all that matters is what I want. And, you know, when you're not skinning and killing people, that's a good thing um, to be able to go out there and be able to focus on how to become the best at your craft. But he does have tendencies similar. To, and, and they also say that, uh, that a lot of CEOs have that, a lot of cutthroat people. Here's um, what I got, Harry, about psychopath versus sociopath. I found a Venn diagram. Yes. Ah, perfect. Just what go. I needed on this Monday so, morning of Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> where did where did skinning people come from? <laughs> oh, I was, I was just saying, like, like psychopaths, like you know, <clears throat> okay, if, if okay. You, you know, like 
Jordan's not doing anything like that. No, I got you on the killing people, but when you threw in the word skinning, I'm like, wow. Okay, so psychopaths are genetically predisposed. They lack empathy and guilt. They have conniving behavior, higher job success. Conniving. Isn't that a great word? Yeah. Sociopaths, uh, environmentally influenced. They feel empathy and guilt. I See, I thought that they didn't. So so Jordan is a psychopath then. Yeah, because... Well, I don't know. Does he lack empathy? Uh, to a well, certain extent, a, I think so, right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. People, uh, a lot of psychopaths put on the facade, you know, like, but at the end of the day, what's, if, if it's going to be between what he wants or what someone else wants, is he going to feel bad if he goes out there and, you know, say, say someone, like, I'm trying to think of a way to put this, but say it's between him getting another championship or, you know, someone else getting there first. He's going to have no care in the world. Now, that's an extremely sure. low-stakes kind of version of it as opposed to, um, like, a real-life, like, serial killer going out there and saying, like, what's more important? What, you know, gets me excited or this person's life? They're going to understand that this other person, um, like, they're, they're going to understand that this person wants, you know, obviously to live but they won't care and you know jordan in his own kind of different realm but kind of you see the the kind of connections i'm making he just doesn't care yeah it's about what he wants that's fair i mean especially again reading the the more context i had in the way that he treated especially guys like horace grant which i thought that was interesting too how they tried to figure out who was the who was the mole who was the source and horace is like wasn't me and i actually believe that because horace is known for uh he is portrayed as very sensitive and he was a younger guy back in 1990 91 but he was portrayed as sensitive but certainly not someone that would um say anything out of out of school or anything that he maybe shouldn't have but uh, i i get the sense too that jordan with that drive of his this just sort of psychopathic drive alienated enough people where there were multiple sources and that's why all these stories have kind of grown over the year the the mythology and some of the negative parts of the mythology have grown because <laughs> he has alienated players and coaches and front office guys alike. They all recognize his greatness, but they all probably had personal run-ins where they're like, yeah, screw that guy. So it's understandable why that over time has uh, kind of a catalog of negative stories, so to speak, have grown about Jordan. Yeah. Poor Sam Smith, too. It seems like, I mean, all he did was write a book of stories people told him, and suddenly he said he was getting death threats because it was the first negative portrayal of Michael in any facet. Yeah, and I, he's, he's the kind of guy who's like, yeah, you know, I got a few death threats, man. Yeah, it's whatever. And I'm like, dude, that would have sucked. But he, he yeah, is he's very... got a funny demeanor nowadays. I don't know how to describe him, but he's very uh, devil may care, I guess. I very, very much so. He's just an old news guy. You look at him, he's like, yeah, that's an old news guy. And, and... He's very much a so I says to the guy kind yeah. of guy. <laughs> And I I can imagine that when that came out, I mean, it's double-edged sword on one. Well, I, I don't know if that even applies. And by the way, like you've said it before, Harry, that's a stupid cliche because swords are double-edged. It. All swords are double-edged. Every <laughs> single one, unless it's like, what, one of those like swords from Aladdin that looks like a C. I say too well, many damn a, cliches. I need to avoid that. Is the sword the whole thing or just the sharp part of it? You know what I mean? Well, that'd be a double-tipped sword. which ah. are ve- okay, that, okay. That's just a spear. Okay. So, so anywho, okay. that he makes yeah. this book goes, I don't know if it was number one New York Times bestseller, but you know, he's making tons of money from this book. And 
That's great. But on the other hand, he did lose the access, which he would have lost anyways. As he said in the first three, Pete, the access the journalist had and Michael Jordan was always willing. That was one thing. The reason that the media loved him as much as they did is early on, he was always very open and he would have these conversations uh, during shoot around after the game. He would give people time. Of course, that changed the more popular he got. But Sam Smith lost that. And he essentially just became another also ran journalist in the scope of the Bulls locker room where Jordan would answer his questions. But the conversations and the off the record stuff that was done. And I'm thinking, well, that would be tough if you were a sports writer in Chicago in the midst of this incredible run that we'll never see again. And you were kind of being frozen out. And so he made the money. The book was famous and he's done fine for himself. But uh, I, I'd probably take it personally a little yeah, I mean, bit. You're kind of, I don't know, it's sort of like a choice where you might have to box yourself in. I mean, in any uh, type of sports thing where if you were a source and you, go, and you grow close to a person who's feeding you information, suddenly if the information is no longer positive or the type of information that that person who's feeding it to you wants out there, you have to... You know, at a, at a certain point, it's almost like you become too close to the source to the point where you have their best interests in mind instead of just outing the news. Yeah. And I guess, you know, Sam, you know, decided to stick with outing the news instead of just keeping his source happy. And that was the price he paid for it, I guess. Well, boys, we're about an hour into this thing and it's May the 4th. And I know that Harry's chomping at the yeah. bit to go watch Attack of the Clones. So I don't want to keep it too long. <laughs> that is a really, um. Put this not crudely. Uh, Sex-driven movie. In a it way. is, yeah. Natalie Portman oh, yeah. in the white. I mean, just jumpsuit. from the get-go, he's talking about man. I think about her every night, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, in the first movie, you see him, and he's like ten, right? And the second movie starts, and five minutes in, he's like, I can't stop thinking about her. I can't stop thinking about her. Mm -hmm. and you, he hasn't even seen her in like a decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got to think what could. I mean. There's got to be absolutely nothing to do on Tatooine. That's all he's thinking about. <laughs> I mean, my God. No space porn. No, he's got to. No. He's got to just hold on to that image. I always thought it was weird how he's like five and she's what fifteen when they 14, meet. Fourteen, I think. And and she she so. even tells him in Attack of the Clones like, I always thought you were such a special boy. And I'm like, ugh, he was like five years old. What the hell? But they transition so quickly in Attack of the Clones from little Annie to like. You know, 20 minutes of movie time later, they're making out on a beach. I it's hate, like, oh. I hate that nickname. Yeah, I was just going to say, Annie, I was gonna say Annie, it's the weirdest thing in the world, Annie. Uh, Annie. Oh. And his mom has the stupidest accent. She's like, uh, Annie. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> like, she dies sucks. and it's like, who cares? Like, I, I get that he's sad, but I don't care that Anakin's <laughs> mom is dead. Yeah. I actually felt just as bad for the uh, sand people that he murdered. I'm like, oh. The poor little sand kid. Now, I love the yeah. sound that the sand people make. I can't hate the sound. The sand people, they make the funny sound. Where they, yeah. where they do the... <laughs> with their... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... that God, I, I'll, give, I'll give Star Wars the credit. They build their own universe, but it's just a universe filled with like nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am excited to see Babu Frick again tonight from episode nine. He is one of my favorites. <laughs> Frick. <laughs> you haven't seen episode nine yet, Harry? Uh, I saw it in theaters, and I remember thinking it was average. What, yeah, but, but Babu Frick. Remember Babu? He's the little furry guy that fixes up C three PO. 
trying to. Rem- I, again, I saw this movie once, and I have the brain capacity of a bowl of, you know, porridge. Oh. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Babu Frick. Uh, I'm trying, I'm, it's, it's funny because I can say it. I'm trying to remember. I, rem- I remember C3PO like has his eyes turn red for one second, mm-hmm. and that's about all I remember. From Bob the whole R. movie? I remember I remember that. We've gone over the fact that like you, know, you were too Ray busy eating DP dough. Probably. Or, no, where did you take nuts. McDonald's that night? It was it was Christmas Day that you steak went, I think. Shake. Steak and shake. That's right. Yep. I just love that you and, walked uh, into a movie theater with a bag full of steak and shake hamburgers and you're like, whatever. Who's gonna who's gonna stop me? Come on. First no, of that's all, an alpha the, move right there. That is. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, it's the Christmas crew that's out there. Some seventeen year old kid getting paid five dollars an hour and his, you know, nightly box of small popcorn. They're not gonna care if I'm bringing in my take home sack. Especially if I, you know, if I get a uh, thing of well what did i do there i got my own little um my water cup which no one hmm. ever feels fills up with water I mean, of course not uh, you know trevor you said that it's it's your own little act of rebellion is is um filling up your uh what was it the, the water cup with you know if you want to be if you want to be kind of you know shy about it you fill it up with sprite or lemonade if you want to be me fill it up with like root beer or, or dr pepper and just have like no no, like bad feelings about it at all. Because again, these guys—they don't care. You know what's the also, ultimate? It, it's it's the most illegal thing I do: filling up a water cup with lemonade. And, and you know what, that Trevor—that is your equivalent of when Butters replaces the soup at Bennigan's and thinks that he's he's uh, what Professor Chaos. Wait, you guys really aren't in the South Park as much. Oh man, no, that's pretty rough. You every time you say that, I tell you, I've seen probably as much South Park as you have. Okay, well, the Professor Chaos stuff is pretty funny. He thinks that he's messing with people. And, and Trevor, if you re- want a real act of rebellion, next time you do that, you need to, on your way out, go up to the uh, register, the lady there, and just put the cup on the counter and be like, I didn't get water after all. And just walk right out. And then she'll be like... That would be a power move. Uh, it reminds me too, Harry, the way you were talking about that, about... Uh, was some 17-year-old kid making five bucks an hour in the scene at the beginning of Pulp Fiction when Pumpkin and Honey Bunny and he's like, and you know, you got some, uh, I I can't even remember what uh, Tim Roth says. It's a very, uh, I think I remember what it is. It's it's pretty pretty racist, what he says. Yes, and he's talking about how all the employees of the restaurant, what are they going to do? Some, yes, he uses a term about the, the bus boy and well, yeah. what's he gonna do? He makes five bucks an hour. Of course, there's other words thrown in there too. But um, oh does that mean? Does that mean next time I go in there, I do it? I'm gonna face some uh, some Samuel Jackson. <laughs> just look at me dead in the eye, saying, "You better, you better pay for that soda you just got there, boy." <laughs> so there were there were reports that you know movie theaters might start to reopen at some point and have mm. like temperature check stations and make sure you've got nothing on you. <laughs> Someone. Someone tweeted, well, if I can bring in, you know, in Harry's case, steak and shake without them noticing, I really doubt they're going to make me pass through like a temperature check line. Because if you can basically smuggle in anything you want, I don't know how they're going to be able to do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel a little nervous about Champaign-Urbana because AMC, I think, is already financially in not a good spot. The, the company. Well, Savoy 16 filed bankruptcy. Yeah, like the good, rich quality ago. theaters. Yeah, they filed for bankruptcy. So they were in trouble anyways. And I'm thinking about how last year the art theater went out of business and I was, I was bummed about it because they would get the, the movies that maybe a 24, that studio that the does Irish all the Oscar. Man. 
they would have had the Irishman, yeah, and they closed right before that, and thinking, ah, damn it, that sucks. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if they hadn't closed then, they'd definitely be closed now. I mean, it was this is really going to accelerate that for a lot of, especially movie theaters, live music venues. I'm worried about that. Um, restaurants already locally are closing. Well, what I think for at least for the movie theaters, because there's only, as far as I know, in Champagne Urbana, there's uh, there's Goodrich Savoy, and there's um, and AMC. There's, uh, AMC, right? Those yeah. are the only two I know about. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, if one of them closes, the other one, I mean, say even both of them stop, like, you know, stop, both of them close down. Once this all gets lifted, you're not going to have an area as large as Champaign-Urbana with no movie theater. I, I wouldn't think so. It, and it might be yeah. temporary, but we would certainly get a movie theater again. But if there was only one of those places open, they'd be doing gangbusters. That's true. If I'm an investor... I'd be thinking, okay, we're going to pool a bunch of money and we're going to save Savoy 16 as the only multiplex in town and then we'll just break it in. But on the other hand, you know, movies are going to be coming out. There's going to be a delay. Well, so that, that was what I was going to say is the other question is, are there going to be any movies there for the first four or five months? Like what movies yeah. are going to come out in the fall? They weren't making they well, they weren't making any movies. The only ones would be ones that were delayed, which I think were James Bond. Yeah. Um, a Quiet Place 2. I'm trying to think what else got delayed. Mulan. Yeah. And and those... <laughs> oh, I mean, can't wait for that. They kept showing that... They kept showing that preview because I saw Rise of Skywalker three times in the theater and they kept showing that. And it looks well done, but I'm just like, I have no interest in this. I just don't care. It's too soon. They've, they've restarted that cycle way too soon. How are they going to yeah. do a live action version of Fox and the Hound? <laughs> that movie is just I mean, you want to talk about i mean disney disney had like a period of a good 40 years where they had very very pedestrian movies and fox of the hound is just the pinnacle of mediocrity as far as i'm concerned and how are they going to some... do snow white and the seven dwarfs without being offensive you can't yeah. really cast little people i mean you, peter peter dinklage cannot play seven dwarfs <laughs> you need to broaden it a little bit and you can't get there the guy that some... played mini me either you need to find more yeah, good point. Good and point. and maybe they just make them regular people. Snow White and the seven uh, non... Snow White and her seven friends. <laughs> that's a very <laughs> PC way of doing things, yeah. Well, I was going to say, that sounds like Welcome a very to 2020. adult movie. Well, I mean, I mean we, you Snow know... Snow White and her seven friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you know, this might not be the same exact situation, but 20 years ago with Lord of the Rings, they made all those people look really small. You could probably find a way to make normal people just seem smaller. That's true, but I think well, that Sean Astin is a shorter guy. Yeah, is it Sean Astin and Elijah Wood, right? Yeah, Elijah yep. Wood, yeah. Talk, and then, if you want to talk about movies that are just, each one of them is absolutely perfect, those Lord of oh, the Rings Oh, good, movies. thank God. I thought you were going another <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they were just as bad as Revenge of the Sith. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, if you, no. You cannot put Lord of the Rings on the same pedestal as, you know, Star Wars movies outside of the first two. They're very well because... done, but those those yeah. movies don't... I, I haven't revisited them. I remember That's, watching yeah. the first and second on video, not even DVD, video, before Return of the King came out to the theater because I figured I should probably go see it and I liked it, but I've just never that that world doesn't draw me in. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. It's really good. I was just going to say that the rewatchability of that for me is slightly less just because it's more of like a three hour epic than like a pop it on while you're doing something and watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 
I guess I can see that. I mean, for me, as good as those are, I'm still taking Revenge of the Sith. And he, oh I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not biting. I'm not biting on that because I know that's bait. Hey, but Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee was in both that's the true. prequels and, of course, in, what was he again in Lord of the Rings? Was he Sauron? Sauron. White. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. Saruman. No, Sauron's, 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 Sauron's the yeah. eye, right. He's yeah, the let's, white let's, wizard, right? Who played the eye? That's that's Gandalf. Who played the uh, eye? <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Man, he was great as the eye. As the eye. <laughs> what a comeback for Robert Downey Jr. Lawrence Fishburne. Playing, he playing was the eye. the Hobbit treehouse. I never I never got why Sauron put all his power into a ring. That never made sense to me. I mean, it's symbolic. If, I mean, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I never understood. I never understood why they walked. There's so many flying creatures that could get. I to the, know, uh, and they got yeah, little, yeah, you, little I mean, legs. You, yeah, like at, you know, at, one, at one point, I'm pretty sure in the first movie, they're like, "Well, it'll take 22 days by foot." And then, so I go, "Well, why are you going by foot then?" <laughs> yeah, come on, guys, improvise. I mean, why can't Gandalf just magically whisk them away? Yeah, bippity boppity boo. Yeah, that's <laughs> a different universe. But is it Gandalf? Yeah, what if yes. Cinderella took place in the Shire? I thought she lived in Middle Earth. <laughs> I have nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I have, I have no response <laughs> to what if Cinderella lived in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. We've hit that point, I think. Right? Yeah, well, we got to think, of course. Start theorizing about Cinderella in Middle Earth. If Harry were forced to go into a movie theater with a bunch of COVID-19 infected people... And watch Attack of the Clones. The only Jeez. thing that would make his experience worthwhile is smuggling in DPDO. Okay, 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 let's slow down a little bit. I understand our sponsor. The only thing that would help him enjoy a bad movie amongst a bunch of fever, feverish, pandemic infected, sneezing, coughing movie theater would be a buffer zone from DPDO with your favorite dipping yeah. sauce. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, if I had a buffer zone with enough red hot ranch just to cover the whole thing, put me smack dab in the middle of that theater with the reclining seats and a bunch of coughing COVID infectants. Yes. Hey, Harry, uh, these are tough times. Yes, come on, man. Oh, yes. com. they deliver anywhere in Champion Urbana, com. Likewise, if Trevor ever had to go see a midnight showing of Solo 2, <laughs> the sequel... I Duo. would need some insurance to watch that because I might faint. Then, and he were also in a theater full of 25 socially distanced but still coughing, maniac, like just, you know, spittle, all of that Star Wait Wars fanatics. So putting Harry right in the middle of a bunch yeah. of them while eating and then I get them socially distanced. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what Trevor? Why am I watching a movie I have no invested interest in? <laughs> yeah, just, I'm just saying. And then Trevor, you could take an old crappy Illinois t-shirt, you could cut it up, make a mask out of it, and then you could use one of your new 4th and Kirby Illini t-shirts. Vintage inspired, high quality stuff at 4thandkirby.com. Coupon code Great 200 call. level. Finally, if both of you get sick, you need insurance. Okay? I need a guy. You need a guy. And chances are you're both infected by this point, and you've seen movies you don't even like. It's all over. I am. <laughs> life, I'm just, life insurance is your friend at this point because you are both critically ill with COVID nineteen, and that's why <laughs> you would want an insurance expert. Brian Hansen online at what is that again, Trevor? 
<laughs> Brian is my guy. Yes. And not just for life insurance. You name it, they got you covered. State Farm agent Brian Hansen again at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Uh, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Those are the particulars. And uh, I like how we sort of veered off on May the 4th. Harry, May the 4th be with you. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and to you two, force, force the be with you, May. <laughs> oh, th- thank you, Yoda. Uh, God. I- I'm, try- I'm just trying to comprehend the situation that I would be placed in where I'm just walking in there. I'm walking in there with the calzone in one hand, surrounded by a bunch of non-mask-wearing uh, people coughing all over me. And the only solace I have is at least I get to go watch a pack of the clothes. Okay. Well, boys, on that note, we'll see you next Monday for uh, 20 minutes of Last Dance talk and 60 minutes of random pop culture asides. Um, yes. Other than that, oh, we talk a lot on football recruiting, but I, I figure we probably... Hey, it's picking up. They it, doubled the recruiting class from one to two. You know, they're getting guys. It is something. Uh, well, exponential. Well, boys, we will talk next Monday. Stay safe, and uh, hopefully we won't need to make any calls for life insurance to Brian Hansen. And uh, on that morbid note... <laughs> All right. See ya. For Harry Black, Trevor Belize, I'm Mike Carpenter. We will see you later this week for another episode of The 200 Level.